You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing, but they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the Packernet Podcast. I am your host and resident panelist, as always, Ryan Schlipp. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore daddyo. So um, this is attempt number two at this podcast. Um, What I wanted to do was very briefly go over what happened in college football, just to kind of be like, because again, I don't really care about college football. I don't like it. I don't watch it. I mean, I watch it because my son wants to watch it, but that's about it. I don't find it super interesting. I mean, I like watching your team win. So if the Badgers are winning, that's cool. But I mean, I don't know. It's just not interesting to me. But I like looking at prospects and guys that could potentially be Packers and getting excited about that. Like, man, imagine that guy as a Packer. So I wanted to go through some stuff. Well, we were 10 minutes in and I had just covered about halfway through one position and I realized I can't even... I probably won't even be able to get through this in a day, and I, I didn't even want to spend a half a day on this, much less two days on this. So um, got to find a new process. So we're going to try this again. I'm going to try it again, but not spend as much time doing it. By the way, shout out to PFF's college group, because the NFL group sucks. <laughs> those guys, I tell you what, if, if there's a noon game, those grades won't be out until almost noon the next day. And by that, by I mean out, I mean like, you know, 25% ready. There are dozens of college games and every single one of them is done. The Badgers game was done at what, nine o'clock at night last night? I got up at seven o'clock this morning. Grades are done for all the games, including that one. So they must have a massive college staff and their NFL staff. I guess they just got it. I don't know. I don't know what the problem is with the NFL group. But anyways, um, every single grade of every single game that's been done that I can see is available. So that's pretty awesome. So I wanted to just kind of touch on a couple, just a couple now. Come on, Ryan, you can do this. Just a couple interesting little prospects after a week slash two weeks, when you count week zero, I guess. And I do want to start with quarterback. Why? You know, I I get it. How dare you, Aaron Rodgers? How dare you, Jordan Love? I understand that. Here's the thing. There's a possibility Aaron Rodgers retires in the next year or two. There's also a possibility Jordan Love is not the next great Packers quarterback. And I think both of those things have a higher than 50% probability. So we could probably go ahead and look at it. So what I'm going to try to do is skip all the guys that are going to be drafted in the upcoming draft because we're probably not going to take them unless Rodgers busts his skull open and he misses the year and then, you know, we have to draft a guy. But anyways, out of the, like, 300, 400 quarterbacks that have played college football so far, which is insane, there are three 2024 quarterbacks um, that are worth looking at. 
And I'm just looking at guys that had 90 overall grades or higher, of which there were 15 of them. Um, actually, that's not entirely true. Let me get rid of some of the guys that didn't play a ton. 11, 12 of them. And no, for the record, Graham Mertz and Anthony Richardson are not two of them. Those are the two guys on Twitter that I see, are especially Anthony Richardson, but I see Graham Mertz in my little sidebar there trending. They both did fine, but neither of them are in that group. Um... 2024 quarterbacks, Drake May, six foot four, 220 pounds, fits the profile, right? He's played two weeks. His lowest grade in the two weeks was week one, 85.2 overall grade. 71.6 completion percentage, that goes up to almost 80% when you factor in the two drops. 645 yards, nine touchdowns, zero interceptions, four big-time throws, zero turnover-worthy plays. This guy is freaking crushing it. Now, I just looked at his draft stock. He's considered a 2024 second-round pick. In 2021, he hardly played at all and um, was like a backup and had a 60 overall grade and all that. He didn't really do anything. Seven completions all of 2021. He came in as a starter, and uh, this is what he's done his first two weeks. So I wouldn't be surprised if his draft stock goes up a tad, i.e. first-round pick, prospect, etc., etc., then there's Blake Shapin, Baylor Bears quarterback, smaller school, so you're going to have to c- consistently do this, uh, not just one week against Albany, but it's worth noting. Six foot one, 200, little on the smaller side, but 17 to 20, uh, 214, two touchdowns, two big time throws, zero turnover worthy plays. Um, and then you get sort of the big guy. This is the guy that's a top prospect already for the 2024 draft. He did not disappoint in 2021 for Oklahoma. He had a 91.3 overall grade, transferred to USC, and in his first game against Rice, so whatever, but 19 of 23, 82.6% completion percentage. That goes up to 95.2 when you factor in the one drop. 249 yards, two touchdowns, one big-time throw, one turnover-worthy play. That part isn't super spectacular. The one thing I've noticed about some of these quarterbacks, including the two guys I mentioned, I forget their names already, Graham Mertz and the other guy, a lot of these teams seem to be very run-heavy teams. And so it's like, you know, 20 passes. You got to play basically two games to accumulate the stats of a normal quarterback playing one game. So, But still, a very good outing for Caleb Williams, who's a top prospect. And again, it's weird how like media members clamp onto certain guys. And you know what it is? It's guys that are fast. It's the next Lamar Jackson. That's what they always want. Caleb Williams was maybe the best quarterback in college football. I haven't seen his name once. I don't, I've never heard of the guy until I went over to PFF. Nobody's highlighting Caleb Williams. Maybe it's because he's not a prospect this year. Fine. What about Tyler Van Dyke? In fact, it's kind of funny. I saw a, uh, a guy talking about Justin Fields, and I, I have several clips of these guys. Every take they have annoys the living crap out of me. But He was talking about Justin Fields in week three and said, I don't care about all the stats and all the completions and all that stuff and how he did in week three. This is what I want to see. And he shows a highlight of him taking off and running. Are you freaking stupid? Are you guys all stupid? The obsession with quarterbacks running, I'll never understand. We know Justin Fields is fast. We know he can run. You know what happens every time I see Justin Fields run for a first down? I laugh hysterically because that's the sign of a quarterback that has nothing else. When I watch him week three pick apart another team as a pocket quarterback, that's what makes me nervous. Running is nice, right? It's, it's an extra threat that can, that can be scary at times. But if you're going to play four quarters and beat a team, it's not because you run fast. 
NFL NFL defenses are too fast to care anymore. If you don't believe me, look at Kyler Murray. He's one of the fastest guys in in all of the NFL at quarterback. And his rushing grade was sub 60. It was worse than it was one of the worst rushing grades of anybody. You know why? Because being fast doesn't necessarily mean being a good runner. If you try to scramble around and you get tackled behind the line of scrimmage constantly because rather than keeping your eyes downfield and throwing, you're trying to scramble around like an idiot and you end up getting tackled because guess what? People in the NFL are fast too on defense. Linebackers are fast. Heck, edge rushers and defensive tackles are fast in the NFL. I don't understand the obsession. It's cool, right? It's cool to have a guy like Lamar that has a cannon for an arm and also is one of the fastest guys in football, period. That is cool. But you got to be able to put the total package together, and you got all these media guys that are just like, I don't care about the throwing, man. Just run. Just run. Just keep running. Just don't stop running. And then when you get actual football people saying, dude, you got to keep your eyes downfield and throw, it's like, oh, how dare you? How dare you? Running is what matters. It's so stupid. I mean, look, look at Trey Lance. They got Trey Lance because of what he can do with his legs, right? There's no question that's a massive feature of why you want him. There's no question about that. But guess what? Why isn't he a great quarterback today? He's already fast. We know he can run. Why is he struggling? Why isn't he a top 10 quarterback right now? Because it's, it's 0.9% of what this guy needs to learn how to do as an NFL quarterback is run fast. More like 0.09. So it's, ju- it's just obnoxious. Anyways, again, not going to highlight every position. I'm not really interested in wide receiver, running back, eh. Even offensive line. I mean, we'll probably take swings, but it'll be fourth, fifth round. Um, it seems weird to go defense since that's, you know, an area where we feel like we're pretty strong. However, if I had to pick two areas that we were a little thin and could probably use some help is edge and safety, right? We got Preston, who, again, I don't know exactly where that guy is at. He did have one good year last year, but that was kind of it for him. Um, so we got kind of, in my mind, it's Rashawn and not a ton else. And we could certainly use another Rashawn-like stud. So a couple names to just throw around based on statistics. Um, only one guy in college football had three sacks. That was Nick Hampton out of App State. A couple other guys with multiple sacks. Joe Evans out of Iowa. Jared Bartlett, West Virginia. Cayman uh, Rucker, North Carolina. Reggie Grimes, Oklahoma. Kahari Coleman, Ole Miss. Jaquez Evans, Western Kentucky. Jalen Harrell, Michigan. And then Nick Herbig out of Wisconsin. For all the Wisconsin fans out there, there you go. Three guys with nine pressures. Uh, Daniel Grzyziak, Utah State, and then two Houston guys, obviously, Nelson Cesar and DeAnthony Jones. If we're looking for elite pass rush grades, there were only four. Tyree Wilson out of Texas Tech, Jalen Harrell, Michigan, DeAnthony Jones, Houston, and Rondell Bothirod out of Wake Forest. Yes, run defense is a factor, but let's be honest, it starts with being a pass rusher, right? Same with like offensive line. It's cool if you're a run blocker, but we're going to start with pass blocking and make sure you can do that really, really well. After that, we'll figure out the rest. But top dog in terms of win percentage, which is just whooping the guy in front of you, six foot six, 275-pound Tyree Wilson, Texas Tech. Yes, he was going up against Murray State, but he had seven pressures and a sack on 22 um, opportunities. And his win percentage was 55%. Six foot four, 246 pound Michigan guy. Go back to the Michigan tree. Outside linebacker, seven pressures on 16 attempts, which is nearly 50% just on pressures, plus two sacks on top of it. He had a 50% win rate. It was actually 85.7% when you look at true, pa- uh, true pass sets, which is absolutely insane. In other words, one on one opportunities, he won 85.7% of the time. Of his 16 pass rush attempts, 
Seven of them were those one-on-one opportunities. Five of those seven times, he generated a hurry. <laughs> he hurried the quarterback almost every time they they didn't you know double team him or do something. I know these aren't like the biggest names out there right now. Will Anderson is sort of the top dog. First of all, almost no chance we're going to be in position to draft him again unless things completely fall apart and we don't take a quarterback. But um, you know, not the greatest game in the world. In fact, they called him a right inside linebacker. Am I? Uh, that's just a typo because he didn't play a single snap of inside linebacker. But his stats look like he did. <laughs> he had a 61 pass rush grade, one pressure on eight attempts, uh, no sacks, no hits. So kind of a ho-hum day for Will Anderson. And I guess kind of the same as the rest of these guys. But there you go. There's, there's how week one look at some of the guys that really shined as edge rushers. Miles Murphy, Isaiah Foskey, Nolan Smith, B.J. Ojolari, Derek Hall, Zach Harrison. Those guys didn't really pop up as much. Those are the first-round prospects as of right now. And then uh, looking at safeties, again, the consensus right now, Antonio Johnson as the top guy, then Jordan Battle, who I had as like my number one overall prospect. He's barely a first-round prospect, according to this, and he continues to fall. Those are really the only two guys. Brandon Joseph out of Notre Dame is 40th. Jalen Catalone, 42nd. Brian Branch, 44th, also out of Alabama, which, by the way, this is where the Packers generally would draft a first-round pick. And J.L. Skinner, another second-round guy. So about six guys in the first two rounds, none of them really early first round, at least as of right now. But the one guy that did flash, not surprisingly, and something to keep an eye on for the Packers, is Christopher Smith, who on this list would be uh, 99th overall. He had a 92 overall grade. He's, he's in his fifth year at Georgia. His grades over those years, 63, 70, 74, 77, so he's gotten better every single year. Starter only the last two years. So far, 92 overall grade, highest graded safety in all of football. Again, it's freaking Georgia, so don't be surprised if this dude blows up. 5'11", 195, 92 overall grade, 72 run defense, 82 tackling, and 91 coverage. Four tackles, one assist, no missed tackles, one stop, one target, zero receptions, and a pick, and a pass breakup. I don't even know how that's possible. It, It must have been the one pass was a pass breakup, and then the interception was like a tip or something. I'm not really sure, but Chris Smith, ladies and gentlemen. Circle that one, underline that one for the Packers in 2023. <laughs> Again, none of the big names are at the top of the list here. Craig Woodson, Quinn Shuttle, Malachi Starks, Jamie Robinson, Kalen Bullock, Keyshawn Swanson. Jordan Battles down here at 84th with a 67 overall grade. So there you go. Anyways, that's that's it. I'm not going to go any more positions or anything. Those are kind of the three that I guess I care about. As weird as it is to say that quarterback is becoming one of the top priorities I mean, when you have a quarterback that's saying he's he's going to be gone in a year or two, and Jordan Love has not necessarily shown himself to be that dude, you know, yes, improvement, great. Anyways, I want to uh, pivot once again to the Minnesota Vikings, and, and not just to rant about how overhyped they are, which maybe they're not, I don't know. But there is something that I, a couple things that I found interesting that kind of flow into one another. Apparently, there's been a lot of talk about Indomitian Sioux to the Minnesota Vikings. This little nugget has a couple of little sub-nuggets. Number one, as I was watching somebody talk about this whole situation, there's a couple things that popped up. First of all, although there's a lot of rumors and Vikings fans are um, getting all geeked out about the possibility of washed-up Indomitian Zoo coming to Minnesota, it sounds like the interest is almost entirely coming from Indomitian Zoo's camp, and the Minnesota Vikings aren't all that interested. So if you're concerned about it, it sounds like there's a low probability that it ends up happening. But the first thing that I learned is apparently the Minnesota Vikings GM, 
Quessy, I think is his name, has somewhat of an issue of returning people's phone calls. <laughs> there was another situation, apparently, which I didn't realize any of this. J.C. Treader, former Green Bay Packer, very good offensive lineman, one of the guys that I was upset to leave go. This was one of a few guys that were solid contributors, backups that could be starters, um, that Ted Thompson said, it's time for you to go, and he left, and that kind of sucked, and he went on to have a pretty great career in other places. Anyways, prior to his retirement, he actually reached out to the Vikings. Apparently, J.C. Treader is a, he grew up a Vikings fan, and he thought it'd be cool to end his career as a Minnesota Viking. This is a team that has a horrific center, and a Pro Bowl caliber center reached out and said, I would like to play for you. Give me a call. I want to end my career there. You know, help to massively upgrade your line, help to bring a veteran presence to that group, help to, you know, protect your quarterback as we develop this new offensive system, as we build this powerhouse offense and, and a team that actually wants to make a push for the playoffs and potentially a Super Bowl run. Give me a call. According to J.C. Treader, he never got a call back. Nobody called him. Nobody answered his calls. Nobody returned his calls. What an absolute BS thing to do. So the, the, the reason that came up is it's possible that the reason this is a one-way conversation between Sue's agent and the Vikings is because Quessy isn't answering the phone or returning his calls. <laughs> and, again, and again, I revel in it because Brian Gutekunst gets a lot of crap. Right, he he kept, he takes a lot of heat for all kinds of stuff. Everything he does is the wrong thing. Every every move he makes, everything he does, everything he doesn't do. His communication with Aaron Rodgers isn't good enough. He communicates with him, but not enough. Then you got the Vikings GM who just doesn't call anybody. By the way, the Chicago Bears GM recently went on record saying he could probably do a better job with communication when talking about some of the issues that are going on with his players, including Tevin Jenkins and some of the you know some of the guys thinking I'm not going to be around here much longer or whatever, and and Tevin obviously was hearing a lot of stuff about he's going to get traded. And so, he I mean, he just kind of casually brought up, you know, I could do better with communication. And Tevin said, I probably could too. And the whole thing's fine. But I, it's relatively common, I think. The, the GMs have strengths. And just like everyone else, that not everything in their life is a strength. And I'm guessing these mega brainiacs maybe aren't always super great with interpersonal skills, or especially when we're talking about pandering to uh, players and whatnot. Ego's also included in that. But Anyways, this is a whole other level. It's one thing to be like, I'm not the greatest communicator, uh, especially when we're talking about communicating to players, because that's really not my, at least not really written on my job description. I go get the players, I give them to the coaches, and you inspire them and talk to them and deal with them. I don't want to have to do that until I have to cut them, and then we have an uncomfortable conversation. You know, I shake their hand and say, you're welcome for bringing you here, and then sorry I have to cut you. But other than that, I'm not talking to these guys. The Vikings GM has people calling saying, hey, I'm a really good football player, and I see that you've got a problem. Give me a call. And he doesn't call them back. So um, I found that interesting. The other interesting little sub-nugget with the Ndamukong Sue thing is the reason that Vikings fans are so into this idea, well, is, is, is several fold, I guess. Number one, I've noticed from listening to a couple different videos that they're questioning some of the decisions that have been made. Um, depends who you listen to. I'm not saying everybody, but I've listened to a couple different Vikings, you know, YouTube channels slash podcast things. And, um, certainly questioning at this point, number one is Amir Smith-Marset being let go and Jalen Rager being brought in. You would think that fans would be able to get in on this because Amir Smith-Marset hasn't really done anything. And Jalen Rager at least was a first round pick, but from their perspective, I think they kind of liked 
the trajectory of Amir Smith-Marset. They were kind of excited about the guy and what he could possibly bring. And the fact of the matter is, from their standpoint, it's kind of a one-to-one in terms of actual talent and production that's been put on the field so far, except for the fact that Amir Smith-Marset has been with the team for quite a while now, and Jalen Rager has not. The other questionable move is Armin Watts. And I was also shocked by this because Armin Watts was maybe one of their best pass-rushing defensive linemen. Um, and they moved on from him and brought in Ross Blacklock. And to the dismay of many Vikings fans, I'm sure a lot of Vikings fans are excited about it, thinking, hey, Ross Blacklock was a relatively high pick or whatever, and he's probably this, that, or the other. But the ones that have things like PFF, which a lot of these co-hosts did, have the ability to see not only his grades, but his statistics. And and flat out said, it looks like we downgraded in run defense and pass rush. So I'm a little confused as to what we did. And again, Armin Watts has familiarity with the Minnesota Vikings. Yes, it's a different staff and everything, but still you have familiarity with the players and with everything else. And um, now you bring in this guy that doesn't know anything and hasn't ever been good at anything. And I just don't really understand what we're doing. So that's, first of all, a question of just what are they doing. They're skeptical of losing Armin Watts and feel like they downgraded a defensive line. But beyond that, they genuinely feel like interior defensive line is their biggest weakness, which kind of surprised me a little bit because I thought with Dalvin Tomlinson and Harrison Smith, who they seem excited about, they would be optimistic. But they had one of the worst run defenses in football last year. And I think for a lot of them, the the concern is, I don't know that we necessarily got better there. And I'm worried that our run defense is still going to suck. And now you just got rid of Armin Watts and brought in a guy that sucks even worse. And Harrison Phillips has only been here for a year. I mean, you know, in terms of this is his first year. Dalvin Tomlinson was here last year, but obviously that didn't help a ton. So the point of a lot of this, I guess, is to fast forward to next week. Because if you ask Vikings fans how the Packers are going to beat the Vikings, it's lean on Aaron Jones and A.J. Dillon and just pound the rock up the middle of the def- up the middle of this defense who cannot stop the run. I don't necessarily know that that's still the case, but that is their biggest concern. And they are slamming the table right now to get a guy like Ndamukong Sue to help them shore this up, to take the place of recently acquired Ross Blacklock, which I'm sure is not going to happen. They, they could have gotten him instead of Ross Blacklock, and they didn't. They chose Blacklock. So... Obviously looking to build for the future, and they see Blacklock as a young guy with some upward potential to maybe be something someday, I don't know. But that's something else that I, I find interesting about this whole situation, as, it's, as I pivot away from what I should stick on, which is focusing on the upcoming game against the Minnesota Vikings. There are two ways to kind of handle building a roster. Win for today and win for the future. Both the Vikings and the Bears are clearly building to win for the future which is something else that the Bears and Vikings fans should keep in mind when they think that they're actually going to be competitive this year. I'm not saying, especially for the Vikings, that they don't have enough talent to be able to compete, but it's not going to help your odds to win this year when the entire organization is looking at this in terms of we're going to tear down what doesn't help us tomorrow. Even if it hurts us today, we're going to tear it down because if it helps us tomorrow, that's what we want to do. And Ross Blacklock is a perfect example of that. Jalen Rager, even. Amir Smith-Marset has familiarity with the quarterback and um, probably helps the offense today more so. But they see Jalen Rager as a potential guy that can, if we can develop him, we've got a weapon for 2023-2024. Which is great, assuming that they're right, um, and assuming you don't care about 2022. But it is something to keep in mind. Yes, all teams build for the future in some sense. 
but there's no question that you can see for some teams there's an emphasis on trying to shore up certain areas to win today and other teams saying we're going to do what we need to. there's no better example of the bears drafting two dbs with their first two picks that's not going to help you win now that's just taking the best available player and and you know helping out your head coach to build this defense i mean you brought him in to replicate that defense that he had and you ask him what he needs and he says what he needs and you went out and got it if you wanted to win today you'd help justin fields in fact you probably should do that anyways but you don't actually care about justin fields he's not your guy if he succeeds great if he doesn't cool i get to pick my own quarterback which is what every gm wants to be able to do it's like a really weird trophy for gms that's why they treat uh quarterbacks that were there on the roster by the time they got there like uh the redheaded stepchildren which by the way the last time i said that is like one of the few times i actually got hate mail <laughs> i didn't realize that was such a terrible thing to say sorry um like someone that i don't know it's 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 a more accurate description than i can give of anything else but anyways that is worth noting for both teams and and i generally agree with that um but but you can't do both you can't build for the future and also build for today because they're different strategies. There's no universe in which the strategies are exactly one-to-one the same. They're doing the right thing. They're not focused on this year. In fact, I don't know that any team outside of the Packers is 100% focused on this year. The Lions maybe kind of are, but not really. I mean, again, they're finding talent through the draft, but that's generally a future strategy. They're not going out in free agency and, and you know, giving away draft picks to go out and get guys or whatever. But anyways, um, final thing on the Vikings as far as their run defense, because again, they've got some guys, right, that seem to be capable. But if you look at run defense grades, just running through from linebacker, defensive tackle, edge rusher, the guys that have to do it up front, one guy grades out well, and that's Harrison Phillips with a 78. 57, 66, 42, 39, 48, 68, 58, 58, 52, 55, 57, 50, 39, 64. Without going through person by person, those were their grades last year. So yeah, concern. No question. Anyways, before we take a break, it should be noted, Pristine Auction is back, baby. PristineAuction.com, most trusted memorabilia site online. Once again, back with the Packernet Podcast. And once again, we got another giveaway. This time, you guys are going to be eligible to win a signed Jordy Nelson championship trophy. If you want to know what that looks like, we'll be putting some graphics up on social media and whatnot so you can get an idea of what it looks like, but these things are slick, man. If you want to win it, all you got to do, head over to pristineauction.com, click register on the top of the page, or just follow the link right down in this here description. When you register, use our registration code FAVRE, F-A-V-R-E, to be entered. And as a bonus, Pristine Auction is going to kick in 10 bucks when you win your first auction. Every item on pristineauction.com comes with a certificate of authenticity, so you know it's legit. So upgrade your collection, assign memorabilia today, get 10 bucks off the first item one when you use code FARV when you sign up. Again, that's pristineauction.com slash register, or use the link in the show notes. Do it right now before you forget, and you're entered to win that signed Jordy Nelson Football Championship Trophy. The drawing will be held Monday, September 19th. Anyways, why don't we take a break right here, and we'll be right back. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now. 
Introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy Slab Packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son, and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing, but they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So I wasn't planning on doing this, but um, I want to because it feels necessary. I think, um, you know, yesterday and even a little bit today, it felt real good to kind of vent on other rivals and whatnot. And I think with the Packers, I've I've been playing mostly a let's dial it back kind of a role just because we're doing the same things they are, <laughs> which is to say we are unstoppable and undefeated and everything we know is great. And so I'm kind of just starting to sort of dial that back a little bit. But I wanted to do something a little different. Since I like to be somewhat of a contrarian, but also want to be a little bit more positive, I want to highlight a couple people that maybe we're not talking about enough. Everybody's hyped about Romeo, Bakhtiari, Jenkins, Kenny, Rashan, Devondre, etc. And the point is, I think the perspective that we've been looking at is, here's what the Packers were. We take that and we apply that to this year, and then we say that we're either going to be better or worse based on these guys. So, for example, my biggest concern is, although it's a net benefit that we're getting guys back, I think we're always viewing guys at their highest possible potential. And if these guys don't hit their highest possible potential, if they come in lower, then our team is not as good as we thought. But what I haven't spent as much time doing is highlighting the guys that are maybe coming in a little lower, that if they hit that next level, What does that do to our team? So, for example, automatically, David Bakhtiari and Elton Jenkins coming back makes us a better team than last year. Yes, they played a little bit, or Jenkins did, but overall, this is a massively improved team. Jair coming back is massive for our team. 
So we already know that. But I think there were some sort of deficits last year that could possibly be filled not by guys returning, but by something that's new or possibly just improved. I'm going to start with something that's kind of been talked about a little bit, so it's maybe not quite as interesting. So feel free to roll your eyes for the first minute of this. But I want to address Sammy Watkins. Yes, Alan Lazard can take a step, but in, in my opinion, and maybe I'm wrong, maybe Lazard will become a phenom just in terms of his overall play. I think we view Alan Lazard as kind of a guy, in my opinion, rightly, we view him as a guy that could get more volume, but the same guy. The same guy, just more, which is great because more yards, more touchdowns. It looks great for Lazard, and he's going to get a ton of hype as though he's a better receiver, even though he's not. He's just getting more volume, but that's fine because we'll all take it. I don't necessarily see it from Randall. Again, I think Randall is what Randall is. We're just going to get more of it, which is great. Give me more Randall, more yards, more touchdowns, more, more of everything from Randall. Sammy, I just think, and I, I think I said this yesterday, the day before, we don't view him as we should, but it's not just that. It's not, so baseline Sammy, let me say it this way. The way Packer fans view, let's just do a scale of one to 10. Packer fans view Sammy Watkins about a three if you factor in what they view his talent and his injury status to be. That's, that's my perception of it, three or four. What he's given NFL teams is probably closer to like a six. But if Sammy Watkins does stay healthy, which we can't assume he's not going to. I mean, granted, he's going to have some kind of dings just like everybody else on this team is, but I'm talking about like he's out half the year. We don't know that for sure. His projected games missed for the year is three games. Just, just saying. But I think the larger point, though, is what is his ceiling? What is his ceiling? It's weird because even Packer fans won't talk about his ceiling. We, we've kind of just, you know, usually fans get to be a little goofy. They get to say stuff that, that everybody kind of rolls their eyes at. But fans won't even touch this one. What's his ceiling? You know, he came into the league as a rookie in Buffalo. Obviously not a very good football team. 124 targets, 65 receptions. He did have five drops, but that certainly doesn't account for the, what, 60-some-odd uh, incompletions? Still had 982 yards and six touchdowns, 15.1 yards per reception as a rookie for Buffalo. The next year, he was one of the highest-graded receivers in all of football with a 90 overall grade, 60 receptions, 1,047 yards, and nine touchdowns. The next year is when the injuries started, and he only played a half a season. Still got about 500 yards and four touchdowns. The next year, he went to L.A., right? Nobody's real impressed with his 40 receptions for 616 yards and eight touchdowns in L.A., but I think they forget that he was basically wide receiver three. He came onto a team that already had Cooper Cup and Robert Woods established as the number one and number two, still with his 15.4 yards per reception, but again, the targets just didn't go to him. In a year when he was number one and got his 100 and some odd targets like Cooper Cup got that year, yeah, he cracked a 1,000 yards easy. But you go over here with two established wide receivers, and by the way, Todd Gurley, who was catching 85 passes out of the backfield, actually had more targets than Sammy Watkins did. And again, only 57% of these um, passes ended up being caught, very low percentage. He only dropped one pass. So I don't know if he's got an MVS thing where his, his speed is inconsistent or something, and the ball's just not getting to him. I don't know. But 616 yards and eight touchdowns for the number three wide receiver doesn't seem terrible to me. Then they ship him off to Kansas City, another team that already has established wide receivers but would like that extra little bit of oomph. And so Travis Kelsey is the most targeted receiver, 154 targets, Tyreek Hill 145, Sammy Watkins is third to those two, but it's a far cry number three considering the massive volume Kelsey and Hill get. 
about 300 targets between the two of them. Sammy Watkins, 69 targets, 50 receptions, much higher percentage, still gets 700 yards and three touchdowns, 71 overall grade. And by the way, that was in 12 games. If he played the full 18 games like everybody else did, he's on track for 1,042 yards, again, as the number three. I understand the injuries are not endearing. It doesn't help the case all that much. But just to give you an idea of what he provides when he's on the field, providing, even as a number three wide receiver. Number three receiver. He's on track for 1,000 yards. Next year, same thing. He's the number three guy. This time he does play basically a full season. He plays 17 games, which is more than Tyreek Hill, who played 15, more than half the team. I mean, it looks like there was 19 to be played. He played 17, so he missed two games. Again, Tyreek missed more than that. But as the number three receiver, not wide receiver, but receiver, 961 yards and four receptions. Again, beating Tyreek Hill in yards per reception as a deep threat. More than Tyreek Hill. Tyreek Hill, 14.3, Sammy, 14.6, and that's low for Sammy. Again, 71 overall grade, very consistent in the 70s all these, all these years. As a number three. Now, think of, just pause here and think about the Green Bay Packers. Not only is he not the number three, he's technically the number two. Maybe he may end up being the number one, who knows, or number four for all I know. We've got to see how everybody pans out. But not only is he probably going to be higher than number three, but we don't have a Tyreek or a Travis Kelsey on this team anymore. So we don't have anybody sucking up nearly as many targets as Tyreek and Travis Kelsey got. So even as a number two, he's going to be getting more than what the number two in Kansas City would have got. Well, that's maybe not true because Tyreek had 112 targets, but they had a lot. They pass a lot over there. But again, it, it's we can't act as though this is what he did as the number one wide receiver. He only got 900 yards and four touchdowns. He's not good. You got to look at volume and you have to look at his role. And you can say, well, yeah, he should have. That's because he's not number one because he's not good enough. Okay, well, do you actually expect him to go to Kansas City and beat out Travis Kelsey and Tyreek Hill? I'm not positive if Devontae went to Kansas City, he'd be the most targeted guy over there. I don't know if he beats Travis Kelsey's 152 targets. Does that mean he sucks and he's not good enough? He's just a number two? It has nothing to do with that. It's a, it's a wildly unrealistic standard. But if you were to take Travis Kelsey, Tyreek Hill, Sammy Watkins, and Alan Lazard and, and rank them, do we know Alan Lazard is significantly ahead of Sammy Watkins? I don't know that. I know they're both well behind Travis Kelsey and Tyreek Hill. Let me put it this way. If Alan Lazard were to go to Kansas City this same year in 2019, he would have been behind Sammy Watkins. He might have been behind Demarcus Robinson and Mikko Hardman. I'm not trying to trash Alan Lazard. I'm just trying to be realistic about this. And then in 2020, again, it was the injury bug that got him. He only played 11 games. But if you extrapolate that out over the 19 games they played, he would have been the number three wide receiver based on targets. Probably closer to 750 yards, and the grades weren't quite as good, but still the number three guy in Kansas City that year. We've already talked about Baltimore. Again, he missed a ton of time, but he was like the number three or four guy over there. And again, he's the number two, possibly number one. And let's not even try to pretend that Baltimore is on the same level as Green Bay or Kansas City, where he was much better. In fact, the only quarterbacks he's played with that are any bit competent are Pat Mahomes and Aaron Rodgers. And again, he was quite good in Kansas City. He was also very good in Buffalo when he was a rookie, or in his first three years, with a terrible quarterback. He was fine in L.A. with a, I mean, a good system, but again, buried on the depth chart and not a very good uh, quarterback. So it's just something to take into consideration as a what if. And there's a lot of them on this team, but he's one that we're just not even considering. 
as as an active guy. We're all hoping that Romeo Dobbs and Christian Watson can man up and, and, and play better, despite the fact that Aaron Rodgers is trying to tell us that Sammy has been quite productive, despite the fact that we've seen him in training camp, especially in critical situations, which, by the way, is not even why Sammy Watkins is here. He's a 15.3 yards per reception type of a player. He's a deep threat. But yet, when do we keep seeing him? He's coming up on clutch third down situations. That's trust between Aaron Rodgers and Sammy Watkins. Those are the passes that are supposed to go to Lazard and Randall Cobb, and Sammy Watkins is taking them. Another guy, I spent a lot of time on that, but another guy who's starting to pick up steam, no question about it, Amari Rodgers. Yes, I'm skeptical of Amari Rodgers, but it's another thing that not many people actually look at the implications of what it means if Amari Rodgers has a breakout year, what that does for our team, what that does for our offensive production, whether it's what we do with him creatively or just as a slot receiver. Or as a kick returner, by the way, which he seems to be massively improved in. As a matter of fact, let me just put it this way, so we don't have to go dinking and dunking through here, because everybody has their own thoughts and preferences and whatnot, and some guys are already hyped, you know, again, the rookies and whatever. All we really need is one to hit. Whether that's Sammy reviving his career, Lazard hitting a new level, Cobb finding that 2014 juju, Romeo Dobbs or Christian Watson or Amari breaking out, or who knows, maybe Samori Ture stumbles onto the field and becomes a freak star athlete. I don't know. We just need one because that's the whole issue that everybody has with this offense. Yeah, the offensive line is fine. Yeah, the quarterback's a two-time MVP. Yeah, you've got some decent number twos or threes as wide receivers. Yeah, Tunyon's okay. Yeah, you got a great duo, but you don't have that number one wide receiver. You don't have that dominant guy that can just beat the dit the dit the dit the We might not. But to be honest, the odds aren't terrible. The odds that Lazard develops into a guy who, which, by the way, he's already been that guy that's beaten some pretty solid, you know, corners. But again, Sammy, Romeo, Watson, we need one guy that can develop into that number one guy that doesn't matter who you put on him, he's going to be able to beat him. Maybe not every time, but a decent enough chunk of times. I do think it's going to have to be one of those three, to be honest. Sammy Watkins, Romeo Dobbs, Christian Watson. But I think it's possible that we've got one. Really hate to do a negative sidebar right now, so I'm not going to, but we'll have to talk about it at some point. <laughs> Again, we know, uh, looking at the offensive line, David Bakhtiari's back, Elton Jenkins back, that's an upgrade. How about the fact that the three guys on the interior, presumed to be, are 2020 John Runyon, 2021 Josh Myers, 2021 Royce Newman. Josh Myers is a rookie last year that played half the year, which, by the way, that becomes an upgrade, having your center come back. But beyond that, the potential for him to improve, which seems very likely, because he's somewhat underwhelmed last year. But also John Runyon and Royce Newman. There's a lot of room for growth on the interior from very, very young offensive linemen. A lot of room for growth. And I think the odds are they're going to. I mean, there's no reason to expect regression. So either they stay almost exactly the same or they get better. And considering we're talking about, you know, a second round pick in Josh Myers and a fourth round pick that won the starting job, obviously they saw something in Royce. John Runyon, again, already one of the top pass blocking offensive guards in football. We're just looking for him to improve his run blocking a little bit. There's every reason to believe the offensive line is going to massively improve over what it was last year at almost every position. Again, both tackle spots are returning, and all three really young interior guys, there's every reason to believe they're going to improve. And that's actually kind of the cool thing about our wide receivers, because, I mean, just from a statistical standpoint, if you look at, let's say, Sammy Watkins and say there's only a 10% chance he becomes that guy, okay, that sucks. Let's say there's a 10% chance Alan Lazard becomes that guy, again, 
we'll get into the reason why I'm being pessimistic another day. That's not for today. Okay, that sucks. But what are the odds that one of them becomes a decent or, or that guy? Now we're looking at about a 20% probability that either one or the other becomes that guy. What if there's a 25% chance that Christian Watson becomes that guy? Now we're looking at about 45%. The point is, what seems like a small probability individually becomes a decent probability collectively. I would guess we're over 50%. It's probably close to about 50%, but I would guess we're, we're you know, 55-60% that one of these guys can emerge or will emerge as a quality number one. I'm not talking Justin Jefferson. I know you guys are probably annoyed I keep using him as the example. I'm sorry. I'm not talking Devontae Adams. Just he's the only one in our division anymore. I'm not talking Jamar Chase. I'm just talking about a guy that can win. DK Metcalf, T. Higgins, A.J. Brown, Stephon Diggs, Amon Ross St. Brown, Chris Godwin, Jalen Waddle, Terry McLaurin, Mike Williams, Brandon Cooks. You know, th- these are guys that even if they're not the most dominant, Darnell Mooney. He's not the most dominant wide receiver in the world, but he's good enough to be a number one. How about tight end and Robert Tunyon? I know Josiah DeGuara is kind of the low-hanging fruit because talking about breakout, potential breakout, whatever, but let's be honest. If there's going to be a star that's going to help this team win, it's Robert Tunyon. And um, the reason why I would be more optimistic on Tunyon is because I think Packer fans have always been way too high on him. In other words, a lot of people would look at this and say, we've already seen elite Robert Tunyon. You haven't seen Jack squat from Robert Tunyon. He had a pile of touchdowns one time, right? 12 touchdowns and 600 yards. Whoop-de-freaking-do. 68 overall grade, which is a massive outlier for him. The other year, 77 yards, one touchdown, 60 overall grade. 100 yards, one touchdown, 50 overall grade. 200 yards, two touchdowns, 54 overall grade. Who cares about any of that? That's garbage. And even his breakout year, 600 yards and 12 touchdowns. I'm sorry. That's not what I'm talking about when I'm talking about a star tight end. When I'm talking about Robert Tunyon having a really big year this year, potentially getting a bunch of targets and being a real star receiving tight end, I'm not saying getting back to 2020. I'm saying 2020 sucked. I think he can be really, really, really good. We need to stop playing this game where we act like Tunyon's already a top whatever tight end. He's not. He hasn't been, but he can be now that Devontae's gone. The touchdowns were a massive outlier. Just to give you an idea... The only guy that had more touchdowns was Travis Kelsey at 14. They were almost identical in terms of touchdowns. Travis Kelsey had three times the amount of targets and three times the amount of yards. He had 178 targets, 138 receptions for 1,776 yards and 14 touchdowns. That's the kind of production you get when you're looking at 14 touchdowns. Aside from the touchdowns, Robert Tunyon performed uh, pretty similarly to Evan Ingram who had 63 receptions, 654 yards, and one touchdown. Or Dalton Schultz, 63, 615, and four touchdowns. Graded out nearly identically. He was the 41st ranked tight end. All right? Travis Kelsey, George Kittle, these guys at the top, Dallas Goddard, O.J. Howard, Mo Cox. Some guys kind of fly by night once a year. Even Richard Rodgers actually was really highly graded that one year. Small sample size, though, so it kind of doesn't count. But again, George Kittle, Dallas Goddard, Mark Andrews, Travis Kelsey, even Rob Gronkowski this past year, Kyle Pitts, Dalton Schultz, Darren Waller, TJ Hawkinson. These are the top tight ends. That's what I'm hoping we can see from our tight end. I don't care about 12 touchdowns. I just don't. I mean, it's, it's great. We love touchdowns. But the highest amount of touchdowns anybody had last year was Travis Kelsey, and it was 12. So again, 
ridiculously massive outlier that Tunyon had so many touchdowns. It's not going to happen again, and if it does, it doesn't mean anything, because again, he wasn't all that great as a tight end. More than content with five touchdowns if it comes with 78 receptions and 1,050 yards, and, and, and a 90 overall PFF grade, which means he was consistent throughout the entire year as a receiver, as a blocker, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. That's what I'm hoping for Tunyon. First and foremost, that he can stay healthy, which again, Sammy Watkins gets a ton of crap. Where's the ton of crap that Robert Tunyon gets? But again, somewhat of an unheralded potential weapon there in Robert Tunyon. Because nobody, even overhyped Packer fans, understand what a good Robert Tunyon would look like. Jaron Reed. You guys know I'm low on Jaron Reed, based on what he's done in the past. And again, we can go over his stats, we can go over his grades, we can go over whatever you want. Actually, you know what I haven't done is SIS. Let me look at it. I'm going to try to get myself hyped. Maybe they have something good to say about him. So SIS's pressure percentage, they have him ranked 52nd, which I guess isn't the worst thing in the world, but it's obviously nothing super great. 6.4%. Now, don't compare that to PFF's numbers because they have slightly different numbers, so it's not exactly the same. It's not as bad as it sounds. Kenny Clark, they have 18th highest at 9.5%. 49th in terms of sack percentage. And here you go. You, you wanted it, you got it. Overall value, according to their PAR or their war rankings, 7th highest graded defensive tackle. Found it. And again, if you sort by these things, you can kind of look at and see, is this a decent, maybe it's a bad ranking, I don't know, but Aaron Donald, Chris Jones, Javon Hargrave, Jonathan Allen, Christian Wilkins, Quentin Jefferson, and then Jaron Reed is their ranking. Now, I don't know if that would be anybody's top seven ranking necessarily, but these aren't a pile of garbage defensive tackles. Fletcher Cox, Quentin Williams, and Osa Odigizua are next on this list. Again, a couple of raised eyebrows, including Jaron Reed, but there you go. In terms of positive play percentage, he ranked 34th. Points saved per rush, 9th. So, point is, though, if Jaron Reed can be this year's Razul Douglas, can be this year's Devondre Campbell, Zadarius Smith, Preston Smith, Adrian Amos. By the way, they ranked him 60th overall as far as his run defense, but I don't know that I care all that much because if you're a top 10 pass rusher, I promise you I couldn't care less what else you do on this team. And again, via SIS, he was last year. What all goes into that metric, I don't know. A lot of it, again, just has to do with points saved. But what does that mean if he can be that guy? What have I been saying about Kenny Clark? He just has not been the same since we lost Mike Daniels. And I don't know if he's ever going to return to peak uh, Kenny Clark until he gets that guy next to him. The reports out of camp have been pretty good. Same can be said about TJ Slayton and or Devontae Wyatt. And again, that applies, the similar logic applies to the wide receivers as does to the defensive tackles. What are the odds Jaron Reed is that guy? Let's say it's, you know, 20%. Devontae Wyatt, 5%. TJ Slayton, 15%. The odds that one of those guys ends up becoming the next Mike Daniels, again, what, 45-50%? I'll take that. It might be low for a lot of Packer fans that just assume that's already the case, but I think it's a massive deal if we can have a guy or guys that can really disrupt. Again, I like Dean. Dean's a solid guy, but he's not that dude. Dean is Lazard. Dean's a, a, a good, solid guy that's been pretty underrated based on what he's done. But he ain't that dude. How about Quay Walker? Again, this one isn't as under the radar. It's kind of right in our face. But I tell you what, man, I, I remember going up against elite linebacker duos or even, even just an elite linebacker, and it is hell. Going up against great Bears linebacker tandems, Tampa Bay's linebacker tandems, San Francisco's linebackers. It's rough, man. And, and again, it, it leads me back to the question of why don't we emphasize it more? The only thing I can come to is there's just not a lot of good linebackers out there. 
If you get one, it's incredibly valuable, but you keep taking swings at things that you're never going to hit. It's just kind of a waste of energy. But man, we, we hit on something in Devondre Campbell, and if we can get Quay to come in and be similar, if the Packers can be a team, forget about everything else. Forget about defensive tackle, edge rush, corner, safety, all that. If they can just be a defense with an elite linebacker duo, that automatically makes them a scary defense. We've seen it. It's, it's hard to play against. You can't, I mean, just trying to run the ball can be absolute hell. Two really good linebackers can make it impossible. It's suffocating. It's suffocating to try to run the ball, and then it forces you to be one-dimensional. And unfortunately, in today's NFL, if you're a good linebacker, you could probably cover two. So not only are you making it so that we can't run the ball, but you're also making it a lot harder for us to throw the ball. And again, that doesn't take into account Rashawn Gary and Kenny and Jaron and Wyatt and Slayton and all the other guys. Speaking of, it's assumed that the Packers have a great core of DBs. And yeah, I'm concerned about Jair. Is he going to be at peak form? I'm concerned about Razul. Is he going to be able to replicate what he did last year? But as far as Stokes is concerned, what if we look at it from the opposite perspective? Let's assume Razul and Jair don't fall off. Is there any chance Stokes doesn't take a step? Again, he was one of the better rookie corners in football last year, despite all the mocking, like everything else that happens. I want to say like second best or so. But he still only had like a 65 overall grade. He wasn't an elite corner. He was just solid. He was consistent. He, he wasn't a guy that made you go, oh, come on, dude. He wasn't Kevin King, and I think that was good enough for us. But man, he could be a lot better. Remember Jair? How much of a step he took in year two, and then an even bigger step in year three? Can you imagine a year two Jair plus Jair plus Razul? But then I think the biggest one that, that sparked this whole thing for me was Darnell Savage. Because I feel like, in a sense, and I just did this earlier in this very show, kind of have written off Darnell Savage. Everybody's written the guy off. And although I don't think we necessarily intend to, I don't think, it, it's just, it almost kind of reminds me of Sammy Watkins a little bit. There's, it's, it's not a lot of overt hate, but it's just kind of a feeling of, I don't trust him. I don't think it's going to happen. I have no expectations. I, I have nothing for, for Savage. Savage in year two of Mike Pettin's system showed flashes of being an elite safety. He had one of the highest graded games of any player at any position any week in 2020. Then we get year one of Joe Barry's system, which as we learned is complicated for safeties. And yeah, he struggled just like he did in year one of Mike Pettin's system. But first of all, if you listen to Sam Holman and the things that he had to say, he didn't think he had nearly as bad of a year as many other people did. And, and again, I think a lot of the Darnell Savage disdain or hate or, or even just distrust is very similar to the Amari Rogers situation. The negatives weigh heavily on our minds. And, there, and because he wasn't Razul Douglas with five, six, seven picks, we don't have anything to offset it. So all the good plays are basically just we don't hear his name. So when the only time you hear a guy's name is something negative... There's negative connotations that go along with that. And he got cooked in, if, if it wasn't for that, man, if, best thing that could have happened to him would be for him to just get injured for that Baltimore game because that just crushed his reputation. But again, from the what if standpoint, what if Darnell Savage is a top 15, top 20 safety, top 30 safety, I don't care, along with Adrian Amos, who's almost guaranteed to be a top 20 safety. What does that mean in the full context of this team and especially the defense? The biggest problem with the, time we're in right now is that there's it's impossible to gauge what each team is going to be because of their their ceilings and their floors but there's no doubt about it the ceiling for the Green Bay Packers I, I would be stunned if there's a team one team in the NFL with a higher ceiling I really would and the defense is the core of that 
I, I, I cannot imagine. And again, I don't expect everybody to hit their ceiling, but if everybody on the Packers defense hit their ceiling, there can't be another defense with a ceiling quite like the Packers defense. Offense, fine. Yeah, there's, there's, there's better offensive ceilings than what the Packers have. Defense, I would be stunned. But anyways, I will leave it at that. You guys have yourselves a great Monday. Talk to you tomorrow. Have a good one. Bye-bye.